The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of the tech trade, with the NASDAQ now pacing to break its four-month winning streak, the Investment Committee debating the risk-reward of this year's best sector. Joining me for the hour today, everybody in the house here at the New York Stock Exchange, Jim Labenthal, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, and back with us today, Shannon Sakosha, the Chief Investment Officer at Newberger Berman Private Wealth. Let's check the markets here. A pretty good day going now. Dow's at the highs of the day, good for about 220. There's the S&P 500, one half of 1%. And the aforementioned NASDAQ at the high of, it, of the day as well. For it, uh, about a third of 1%. Rates, they've been elevated. There's the 10-year. It's just a smidge under 4%, Josh. So you, you've had elevated rates. You've got this NASDAQ 100 rebalance. Maybe that's been weighing on the, uh, the mega caps a, a little bit. But what's your perspective here uh, of what the real state of this trade is. I think we're going into an earnings season now that is expected to be down 7 or 8%. Uh, it would be the third consecutive down uh, earnings season. And I think what the market is sniffing out here is that those projections are probably worse than what we'll actually get. If you look at some of the early reporting companies, you had a lot of beats. If you look at the way uh, last quarter went, you had a, a, a really bad expectation and things came out pretty okay. Um, and I think investors like when the bar is really low. I think investors really like the idea that with estimates down as much as they are, you're mostly jumping out of the basement window. So I think that that is helping as we get into these first couple of reports that will start coming out Thursday and Friday. Uh, it doesn't hurt that you've got the banks up first. The banks are, I think, making more money than a lot of people thought they could have. Don't forget, the banks don't really hurt as much from an inverted yield curve as they benefit from an elevated overall interest rate picture. And that's the only thing that's changed from last quarter to this quarter. Combine that with the industrial sector, 90% of the names in that group are above their 200-day moving average. That is a free-for-all rally going on right now. And so I think even if big tech takes a little bit of a pause because of something technical, like an index rejiggering, it probably doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme of things when you have, quote-unquote, the right stocks banks and industrials set up to deliver something good for investors. All right, so Shan, uh, welcome back. Uh, it's great to see you again and to have you here. Um, what do you make of this trade? We haven't talked to you in a while, so it was a surprise to many uh, how strong it's been. And now what for the second half? Now, you do have to get through the, the rebalance. It's going to take the weightings down, 
of uh, the most mega of, of mega caps. Chris Harvey says that it's going to reduce of Wells Fargo, of course, is going to reduce the concentration risk that many have been talking about. Right. It's been such a top heavy trade, but it's going to uh, create some selling pressure among the Uber caps. Now, it might be short lived and many suggest you buy the dip anyway. But how do you view it? Well, I mean, if you look at what we were coming into July with. We were overbought for five weeks on the S&P 500. We were overbought for eight weeks on the NASDAQ. So not necessarily surprising to see some of the weakness that we're experiencing here. I think to think about the second half of the year and the divergence that we're seeing in some of these strategy targets, there's an expectation that to get to some of these targets, you have to have declines in the second half of the year. And that has to come from tech. And so if you look at this overbought scenario, it leads to one of two things. Number one, we could see some overall weakening in the S&P 500 and certainly the NASDAQ. Number two, it could lead to some of the breadth that we anticipate. I think the important point here is that if you're looking at earnings and you're expecting tech earnings to be flat this quarter, and then you're looking at the second half of the year, there has to be continued pricing power for technology to justify the multiples that we're seeing, which compared to the rest of the S&P 500 are upwards of where we saw them in 2003. And so I think that for us, you know, thinking about defensiveness on the second half of the year, it does relate almost entirely to this tech trade and the fact that we've seen so much piling in, whether it's from AI or, for a lesser reason, the weaker dollar. Yeah, Steph, and, and by the way, Dan Ives, who's been one of the biggest tech bulls, suggests you got 12 to 15 percent more over the second half for some of these names. For somebody who's, you know, underweight the sector, how do you think about uh, that call? Yeah, I am he says he says he believes a new tech bull market has begun to take shape. Well, he's a bull, right? Sure. I mean, and I think there is a place for tech. It's 18% of my portfolio. It's not 35, which is what my benchmark is. But, and the reason I have so much exposure, even though I'm underweight relative, is because there are these very powerful themes. Shannon just mentioned AI. You got cloud. You got data center. You got cybersecurity. I own all. I have a lot of exposure there. But you know, also, I have been net net selling, trimming. Yeah, you've been trimming Meta, for example. Meta, Broadcom, Lam Research. But I have been adding to IBM, which is actually cheap and la and has lagged. And and Fortinet was a fairly new position for me. It's done really nicely so far. What I would just say is, I'm, if you step back, I'm so encouraged that we're starting to see a broadening out in the market. Modestly. No, not modestly. You're starting to see energy perk up, industrials are perking up, materials are perking up, financials are not going down anymore. So, I mean, we'll have to see if they if this can continue. But I think the reason we are seeing a broadening out is because the economy is better than expected, better than anybody's can, talking can about. Back up what at, she said? Hold on a sec. 2.3%. We're at 2.3% on the Atlanta Fed GDP now. No one thought we were going to be 2 or 3% in, G, in GDP. Everyone's talking about that we're in a recession. We're not in a recession. And the reason why is all points to last week, all of that job data that we got, non-farm payrolls, ADP, Challenger Gray, across the board. And that is leading to higher wages, and that is leading to a consumer that is resilient. And that is why housing and auto have done well, and services have done well. Yeah. And see, I will just tie this back to earnings. I actually think earnings are going to be better than expected because the economy is stronger so let, than expected. So let me just note, too, um, that the, let's put the Dow back up, guys, please. Um, highs of the day, as you see, near 240. Uh, Microsoft is now green. It was in the red, but you heard David Faber just talking that they may try and close this deal as soon as Monday, uh, according to him. Of course, they get this big win versus the FTC today. Um, you know, Microsoft, member of the Dow, stock now higher, highs of the day, some of the names within there, 3M. We're going to talk about industrials coming up a little bit later. Um, but, Jimmy, as I, th I throw it to you, 
uh, and by the way, Activision's up like 10% on, on this development as well. You own Microsoft and just how you're thinking about tech in, in the here and now. Yeah, well, I, like Steph, I own it uh, underweight and pretty much around 18%. That's interesting. But I, I think what we have to look for, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, or any of these tech heavyweights, is what if through the rest of this year they return 5 7%? Right. That actually for any stock in a six month period would be fabulous, but it will feel like a big disappointment. Now, I honestly think that is potentially the possibility, just given the enormous gains that they've had, how much is priced in. And I'm not saying they're not worth their current valuation. I'm just saying it's hard to say, well, what comes next? Where is the next catalyst that comes from? Uh, in the meantime, I do see the potential for better returns in the non-tech names, uh, the more cyclical stocks. And this is where I wanted to just back up what Steph was saying, is that it does seem to me there was a seminal moment June 2nd of this year, just a little over a month ago, where we got the May labor report. And that was the first time that the market said, wait a second, this regional banking crisis may not tip the economy into a recession. That's been sequentially buoyed by a number of reports over the last five weeks, during which time the equal weight S&P 500 has a 7.5% return through today, whereas the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 market cap weight, oddly enough, have the same exact return of 4.9%. Now, that's, you know, those numbers are small. But the, there is outperformance, and I think we should get used to, once again, that if you had 5-7% over a six-month period as a return, that that actually would be really good. Let's not get too used to 100, 200% returns in six months. See, I also wonder, Josh, if, you know, if, as you look at the, the way the market's reacting in some respects, perhaps to this Microsoft news, whether we just have a more open market, so to speak, um, more IPOs start coming down the pike. Um, the M&A environment isn't as closed off or, you know, one, one case and one win versus the FTC doesn't a new market make for, for deals. It's still a, a, an administration that is obviously set against a, a, a broad environment of, of deal making. But if this is at least an indication that, look, if you got to go to court to get it done, you go to court. You do what you have to do to get a deal done. And just because the FTC doesn't want a deal to happen doesn't mean that that's necessarily, necessarily the be all end all in that. So maybe you have a more open environment for some transactions, the capital markets, businesses uh, Im improve over, uh, over time. Well, I think over time they will. I'm not sure that they'll improve between now and the election at the end of 2024. Um, I don't think there's any energy in the Democratic Party for all of a sudden uh, Biden's administration to start like loosening up. No, of course not. Like, and, I'm not and I'm not suggesting that yeah, that yeah. would happen in, in any way. I'm just saying, you know, if this is an indication at least that you can still get a deal through if the, the deal has merit and if it's not as anti-competitive as the FTC would otherwise uh, have you believe or take the position on, yeah. then maybe not every deal is dead. Okay, that could be. I don't think M&A is going to play a very big factor. Uh, if it does, that would be a cherry on top. I think the bigger picture is that despite the fact that we're sitting here at 5.5% uh, uh, rates on, on short-term treasuries, and this, this whole notion that it was going to be a substantial challenge to people's appetite for stocks, that actually has not materialized. Especially longer duration stocks. Yeah, that's right. So that, that actually has not materialized. And demand for stocks is really what matters. We can all analyze the economy. We can look at the fact that the surprise index is the best that we've seen going back to Q3 2020, meaning all of the economic data is surprising to the upside. Uh, 
at a at a very surprising rate. Um, we we could we could continue to look at that stuff, but. What this really all boils down to is, do people want to buy stocks or sell them? And so I always talk about technicals on the show. But if you even look at some of the fundamental drivers of, of stock market ownership, uh, Vanguard put out a report this week, How America Saves. They're looking at 401k balances for, I don't know, 100 million people, whatever the number is. Um, People over the age of 55 hold 50% of their portfolios in stocks. Ten years ago, that was more like 35%. That's just a sea change in attitudes about risk and about exposure to the market. That's buying pressure that's coming into this market every two weeks when people get their paycheck. What will all of a sudden curtail that? I don't know. You have buyback support from companies. Might not make a new record like we have in prior years because the cost of capital is higher. But again, it's another leg of the stool. It's still there. Now you're going to get the IPO market back. And I don't think you're going to get the 2021 silly IPO market back. I think you're going to get a more responsible underwriting calendar. But that leads to, to more animal spirits, to more enthusiasm for the overall picture. So I think with those things in place, it, it, you may not get the M&A piece back, Scott, but you almost don't need it. There's enough going on right now that's making people feel positive. Can I talk a little bit just to, to touch on what Josh said about buying pressure and where that buying pressure is coming from? Because buying pressure, particularly in the top 10 technology names, if you will, isn't coming from the people on this desk who are active managers. Active managers from an institutional perspective are light in these names. They're all underweight. This positioning that Jim and stuff are talking about, nobody's overweight Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. You can't. They, you can't because it's too big. Yeah. Hedge funds, same thing. They're underweight as well. So Josh is right. For this to continue, this buying pressure has to come, at least for technology and probably for longer duration growth stocks, has to come elsewhere because it is really difficult to take a outsized position in the names that have driven performance this year. Give us a sense of, as we mentioned, your, your new job. Congrats, Newberger Berman, uh, Private hey. Wealth. Give, give us an idea of you know, exactly what you're going to be doing and what your view is on this idea that, you know, Bonds versus stocks, what's your current take on the competition between the two is? As some say, there's still too much. The, the risk reward isn't great for equities, and it, it's better in terms of bonds over stocks. Yeah, I mean, yours. I, so I, I'm going to be sitting on the asset allocation committee of Newberger Berman and really overseeing the investment platform and strategy for our private wealth business. And from our perspective at Newberger Berman, one of the biggest challenges that we've had this year is that we came into this year believing that the risk appetite should be reset as it relates to stocks versus bonds. We continue to see uh, risks as it relates to the overall economy. We continue to see risks to the consumer and to the corporate uh, resilience that we've experienced. Um, but obviously, we've been on the wrong side of that trade in the first half of this year. Um, but I think when you reset for the next five to 10 years and you look at a a higher yield environment. There is a place for bonds in the portfolio, but admittedly, to Josh's point, there's just been this consistent demand for stocks that has been difficult to overcome, even with good, what I would say are good alternatives in the fixed income market. Why are so many people positioned wrongly, right? Why were they so because the economic the because, wrong, but I mean, that's what it is. Because the economic data combined with higher rates um, historically has meant a situation where you would see that contraction eventually start to hit earnings much harder than what we've seen so far and hit the demand for stocks. 
the big difference in this cycle versus all previous cycles and why this was so hard this year, and I was very cautious coming into this year as well, um, if, if, you, if you listen to Greg Jensen from Bridgewater, for example, never before have you gone into a potential recession with the consumer, the household balance sheet in the shape that it was in and just piles and piles of cash everywhere. Every corporation, not just in America, but around the world, was able to refinance and refinance again. They locked in an extremely low cost of capital and they pushed out their maturities simultaneously. That 2020 to 2022 period of window of time literally throws all of the old economic cycle information on its head. Consumers did the same thing. Look at what's going on with earnings this quarter. All of all of the drawdown in earnings expectations from March until now for this quarter is coming from the energy sector. All of it. The consumer discretionary sector is expected to report 27% earnings growth year over year. So the consumer is what's keeping us out of recession. And look at the employment data. Of course they are. Nobody is out of work. We're at 83.5% labor participation rate for prime age workers. That's people 25 to 54. That is a high that we haven't seen since the year 2000. So when nobody is out of work, and everyone is employed, and home prices are stabilizing, and wealthy people are not just making money in stocks, but also in bonds and in cash, it's very hard to get the consumer to slow down. The consumer will not slow down. Talk to an airline CEO. And that's why, unlike in previous economic cycles, with this much tightening of interest rates, we really haven't seen the effect yet. We, we will, well, that's okay, the thing. That's just not that's, yet. That's, but that's the point. Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Um, this idea yet. Critical word. Yes. Of course, Everything we all agree. Around yet, we all agree. Which is why Marco Kalanovic at J.P. Morgan today says recession Q4 23, first quarter 24, buy government bonds, avoid stocks. Just keep pushing risk, it out until it happens. Risk reward <laughs> remains poor in equities in our view, he says. Well, we're either going to slow down or we're going to go into a recession. And I think that there's a lot of stimulus still in the system uh, that is providing these huge tailwinds, right? And that is why, I mean, the consumer, even savings, I know it's being drawn down, but it's still quite high. And so you have the consumer, which is 70% of the economy. You have services that's doing quite well. That's 75% of consumption. So those two things right there just tell you, as long as wages stay strong, as, as and by the way, real incomes are going higher because inflation is coming down. So wait, real Real income is going up, and the job market is very tight. So then, would you take the other side wholly of that trade? That if he says the risk reward remains poor in equities, yeah, you take the other side. You I, think it's good? Well, which equities? I, think, I, I mean, sort of broadly speaking. Well, I, I like the market. I don't think it's cheap, but I think that the cyclicals and some of the different other than technology sectors are actually much more attractive on a valuation basis. I just rattled off a whole bunch of things about the consumer. I think discretionary uh, the sector is very attractive, especially on the services side of things. I was very encouraged to hear the Delta CEO last week on CNBC talking about we're in the mid innings in terms of services demand. I mean, he sees it on the front line, right? So. To me, I think that's where you want to be. I think you also want to be in some of the other areas of, uh, that have lagged. And what I was going to say before is, I think we started the year in terms of technology seeing mean reversion because it was such a bad sector last year. And then all of a sudden March came, and then there's this AI boom that nobody saw coming. And it's going to be a 2 to $3 trillion total addressable market. And that's exactly why Dan Ives is so po positive, and he's been right about that theme. But that really took us to another level. We saw all kinds of re-ratings in terms of multiples. I mean, I told you before, I was selling, trimming some of Broadcom. 
It was at 14 times in March. It's now at 21 times. And I know that that's a lot of it is because of this AI hype. And I, I believe in it. But I also think there are other parts of the market that, as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing a little bit of a broadening. That's where I want to be. You know, I'm going to say something a little bit different here, but in my experience, usually a recession or a bear market is created by overinvestment in an area, right? We can look at the last two big recessions, not the pandemic, uh, but the financial crisis uh, that was created by too much investment in housing and too much investment in financial engineering regarding housing. Before that, it was the tech telecom uh, boom and bust, which, you know, by the, by the year 2000, uh, something like half of the fiber optics that have been laid in the last five years w- were dark. Um, I, I think what's different now, or not really different, but what's happened is the overinvestment actually started, that bubble started popping two years ago. It was things like crypto. It was things like NFTs. Mm. It was things like SPACs. And, and Josh, it was actually what you said about silly IPOs that kind of triggered this thought. Some would simply say that the too much investment in this cycle was from the Fed. Too much liquidity put into the system, okay. which is now Everyone being, agrees. Which okay. is now being sure. pulled out. So I, that's, I, that I, is that, today's that, level yeah. of over. Investing fiscal is that can go hand in glove with what I just said. Fiscal was actually worse. That 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 last that last uh, that so Biden gets elected at the end of 2020, comes into office January of 2021. There's obviously payback. The people that supported this campaign were expecting a big stimulus package. For me, that was the obvious straw that broke the camel's back. Coming with 1.3 trillion in nonsense um, when really the economy was already on fire and recovering didn't make a lot of sense until you realize, oh, wait a minute, the people who put him there were made promises. I, Fiscal has been way out of proportion with what was needed and directed, in my view, mostly very poorly. It's a combination. And Josh. going to it's, come it's down. I know it's both. It's monetary it's both. and fiscal. It was 60% of GDP. Agree. The Fed, was, the Fed was buying mortgage bonds into the hottest housing market right. maybe we've ever seen. Jimmy. So that's, that yeah, was actually obviously the point. Yeah, Just really point. quickly, is that those, those bubbles that I was listing, actually popped two years ago, right? I mean, ARK Innovation Fund, uh, you know, that peaked, what, in October? Zoom Media parked in, uh, peaked in October of 2021. Uh, you can go through the whole NFT thing. But a lot of bubbles have popped. Not all of them. I mean, there's still some froth in oh, the labor market. It's a very self-correcting bubble cycle, I think, <laughs> is, is, the, is the point you're, you're trying to make. I do want to talk about a stock that um, got, a, got a nice upgrade today. It's, a call, it's our call of the day. It's Uber, Evercore. Uh, calls Uber its new number one pick. That's Mark Mahaney, replaces Meta. Uh, it's been on a run. Josh and, and uh, Steph, uh, or Josh has told you that, um, gosh, for so many months now. Year to date's up 74%. I was, gonna, I was, gonna, I was mentioning you because I'm still channeling the Meta, Meta that you've been trimming the position. But Mahaney says, God, you're okay. You're obsessed with me. Ma- Mahaney says, new number one pick. Yeah, for that's, him. it's mine. It's and mine. that is Uber. It's mine also. I don't do like, I don't like walk down the street giving people stock tips. But like if somebody's like, what are you the most excited about? In my personal opinion, and I own this stock myself and, I, and my average cost is in the 30s. I bought it high. It crashed. I bought it low. I, I've been in it for a long time. If, when people ask me, like, what are you most excited? I think that this is the most mispriced large cap tech stock. It's not even a $100 billion market cap yet. It's not even in the S&P 500 yet. This stock is trading two and a half times price to sales. In 2021, it sold 10 times sales. So now you have a story where you've got a company with, I don't want to call it a monopoly per se, but Lyft is kind of dead in the water. Um, Uber is a verb. 
they have gotten out of so many bad businesses around the world. They've straightened out the costs associated with eats. They have a better take rate for their drivers. And as a result of taking that short-term hit, they have actually edged out any would-be competitor. They basically have this market to themselves. Uh, and I think that this is a situation where if you have patience, if you could be in this thing, not for next quarter, but for a couple of years, this could be a 60 or $70 stock. That's where a lot of the price targets are on the street. I don't think it's outrageous. Um, and they, uh, Evercore is saying their top-line growth outlook yeah. for Uber is better than, I think, any stock they, they follow they in the They say it has the strongest top-line outlooks for growth among the companies they cover and faces a, a series of potential value catalysts. Okay, the bear case, the bear case for Uber is and, and always will be some sort of massive, like, not state, but federal issue with how they're employing uh, their their drivers. All right, we all understand that. It's in the stock, it's been in the stock. Um, they've been winning everywhere that it really matters, so I don't think that's a big risk. The second big risk is a replay of a pandemic. If you don't have one of those two things, it's hard for me to understand how this stock doesn't perform. Yeah, well, we'll see it uh, get a lift today by about 2.5%. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, the banks, the playbook ahead of their earnings. Financials among the day's top gainers today find out how the committee is positioned next. We're back right here on The Half. Just two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. back. Bank earnings, they kick off on Friday. And RBC's Lori Calvacina today upgrades that sector to overweight. Stephanie Link, let's begin with you. You own Bank of America, Morgan Stanley. You've been adding to Schwab. You sold Wells. Yeah. So the state of the banks ahead of earnings to you is what? As Jeffries, who, by the way, uh, put J.P. Morgan to, uh, to buy from hold, mm. also says the banks continue to face multiple uncertainties. Yeah. So where are we? There are a lot of uncertainties, but I think where you want to be within financials is, is the capital markets business. You guys were talking at the top, and this is the reason I own Morgan Stanley, is because I think we're troughing, right? I think you are seeing some green shoots. The equity markets are up 8% in the quarter. Credit spreads are actually tightening, and the underwriting is cer certainly starting to improve. Uh, IPOs are starting to come back a little bit. So these are green shoots. This is going to be more than offset, more than offset probably for this quarter with tr uh, trading and investment banking. Um, so I think the quarter, not so, they're not great, 
Um, but the stocks are down so much. And if you believe, like I do, the second half of the year, we will see a pickup in capital markets. That's where you want to be. I don't want to have too much exposure to net interest income, net interest margin, pure plays. And that, to me, is really more of a Wells Fargo. Not exactly. They've got a diversified business, but they have more exposure for sure. Bank of America also has a lot of exposure to NetII and, Net and NIM. But I do think they have a very strong wealth management business, um, and they're taking market share from the smaller companies. So I think you want to be careful where you're buying and what you own. But I still I like the three that I that I own, and I'll probably add to them if we see weakness on Friday. So Shen, I think your perspective from our notes is is pretty interesting today because you know a lot of times you hear, well, banks are cheap, banks are cheap. Um, you say that's not enough. Valuation not enough to hang your hat on if you're going to buy these names. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think if you look at everything that we've been digesting over the course of the last few weeks, we had stress tests, we had the dividend updates. Um, we're looking forward to Basel III. Um, I guess it's just a lack of, of fireworks and excitement for me with slowing loan growth. You know, the potential overhang from a commercial real estate perspective. I, you know, for to, to allocate a big portion of the portfolio to financials right now and to banks in particular, it just it's not all that exciting to me. I think that there are continued headwinds for the second half of the year. I think that there's going to be meaningful divergence. So to, to Steph's point, you know, perhaps, you know, active allocations within the sector makes sense. Um, but overall, just not not really that excited about banks, despite the fact that they look cheap. Jimmy, Goldman, JPM and Citi. Yeah, and what's not in there are the regional banks, which I dipped a toe in earlier in the year and got out of. And this is to Steph's point, is I don't want to be in net interest margin. Well, that was in First Republic. Right. That was for a nanosecond, but remember, I had the regional bank index for about two months. Um, and I didn't like it. It was a bad experience. I spit it out. Um, the, the thing about the regional banks is they are right in the crosshairs of what the Fed is continuing to do. And I just don't know how they're going to keep their funding costs from eating all of their profits or worse, watching their deposits flow out to money markets. Um, that's why I'm in the big banks, you know, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup, uh, J.P. Morgan. And my thought here is that those are going to do fine as the economy does well. What I'm actually looking for, though, Scott, and dear viewers uh, in these reports, is what J.P. Morgan has to say about the regional banking system, what Citigroup has to say about the regional banking system. Because despite the fact that I sold it, I actually want that to perform well. I mean, if you're long the stock market, particularly in cyclicals, you don't want a repeat of the regional banking crisis from March. J.P.M., Josh, yours is uh, the best year to date, up 9.5%. Right, Citi's up 2 Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, all down year to date. JPM, not. Yeah, I think investors uh, in this sector have prioritized quality and safety more so than they've been excited about um, any particular banks like Growth Story. This is definitely not a year for people to uh, want to take a lot of risks with this space, given how quickly interest rates have risen, given the scare we had in March. And, you know, if you ask me, like, what's the risk to a JP Morgan or any of these other banks, like, what, what do you worry about? If we get a meaningful uptick in delinquencies and credit cards and auto loans, like, that's going to be the thing that uh, gives these stocks a haircut. But it hasn't materialized yet. So I know a lot of people have been expecting it, expecting it. And again, in a normal economic cycle, absent all the, the stimulus in the system, you probably would have had it already. It just has not happened yet. So, um, but that, that doesn't mean I want to take more risk here. So I'm in JP Morgan. I think it's the least amount of risk you can take and still be in a growth story. Uh, I think the earnings will be fine. And again, I'm, as I mentioned in the A block, the, the, the larger banks tend to do better just with a higher overall level of rates 
even if you don't love what's going on with that interest margin, even if you don't love what's going on with the curve, um, even if you're worried about outflows because of higher yielding assets elsewhere. JP Morgan is a huge asset management business. The bond market is up this year. The stock market is up this year. Like, it's, it's going to benefit from the environment we're in, in my view. Jim? I was just going to say, from a delinquencies perspective, again, to Josh's point, we have seen delinquencies on credit cards start to pick up, but they are for smaller banks. They and also very low levels. Off of very low levels, yeah. right. So there's a divergence there that we hear a lot about with this K-shaped recovery, um, but it has not, in fact, impacted earnings for the large banks. All right, let's uh, get the headlines now from Christina Partsinevelis. Hi, Christina. Hello, Scott. President Joe Biden met with Turkish President Erdogan just moments ago during the NATO summit in Lithuania. Mr. Biden thanked Erdogan for his diplomacy in giving the green light to Sweden entry into the military alliance. The Turkish president said yesterday he would forward Sweden's bid to his country's parliament for approval, ending months of opposition that put a strain on the alliance. Meanwhile, President Biden's pick to lead the Joint Chiefs of Staff began his confirmation hearing this morning before the Senate Armed Services Committee. General Charles Brown has led the Air Force since 2020. If the Senate confirms the nomination, he would become the second African-American to serve. Sotheby's is about to auction off the skeletons of two prehistoric creatures. The Pteranodon is one of the largest flying animals to have ever existed with a wingspan of 20 feet. The skeleton is expected to fetch ah, just $6 million. Meanwhile, the sea-roaming plesiosaur is expected to go for up to $800,000. It is thought to have inspired the silhouette of the legendary Loch Ness Monster. Scott? All right. Better have a big space to display those, right? Oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah. Christina, thank you. See you later on Closing Bell. Coming up, our chart of the day. Industrials hitting a new high today. Where the committee stands on that sector is next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. All right, our chart of the day today, industrials hitting a new all-time high. 3M leading the Dow. That stock just got upgraded at Bank of America. Steph, I'm going to come to you. Hmm. So you own GE, okay, new 52-week high today. You had sold Caterpillar, which was up today, to buy Ingersoll Rand, which, new record high today. Talk to me about these. <laughs> GE is just the story getting much more simple, right? They're, they spun out GE Healthcare, and they're going to spin out their power business in January of 2024. And so it just gets much more of a narrower story, and, it, and they have a state-of-the-art aerospace business and that's what we're focusing on and that business is improving rapidly free cash flow is going higher margins are going up they're delevering the balance sheet so i like ge even though it's up a lot i want it i want to own it especially into the next spin that they do spins typically work and by the way ge healthcare has worked quite nicely too ingersoll rand is an onshore beneficiary right and so orders are growing eight percent book to bill up north of one uh 1.2 times uh and they their free cash flow is also growing pretty substantially double digits so i like these names i like ups i'm overweight that as well um and i think that one's been the real laggard, so that one is, is one I would I would uh, add to. I think a big part of the uh, it, the big theme for industrials is either aerospace or onshoring, but it's also a weaker dollar. I think the dollar, if it keeps coming down, that's very positive for the industrials. Jimmy, Deer, Dover, Raytheon. Speaking of uh, aerospace, 
Uh, Deer was up today, a leader along with Cat. Go. Yeah, I mean, the demand is there for industrial products. Now, we've got to acknowledge that the industrial sector is a very wide sector. Steph just touched on many of it, but there's specific reasons why defense and aerospace is up. There's specific reasons why commercial aerospace is up. We've got the transports in there. We've got machinery. But if you focus on Deer for a second, Scott, uh, you'll remember that after the last earnings report, I thought it was a pretty good earnings report. Stock went down, drove me crazy. It is now starting to be realized that these industrials are not at peak earnings. We are building things. We are transporting things. We are building things that build things like factories. And all of this is going to play to the advantage of the wide industrial space. Josh, I, your AOS Smith is up uh, 1% today. Yeah, we'll take it. I run a screen of, uh, of the best chart setups uh, in the market. And I try to go sector by sector just to like keep my head straight. FedEx came up on my screen. It's a new 52-week high right now. UPS is not. I don't really know the fundamental driver of what's going on with this thing, but restructuring, new CEO. I figured you would not figure. One of you two guys. Yeah, it's up two and a half percent. But I just like purely on a price basis. Take a mm-hmm. look at this stock. Like this does not happen, uh, you know, by accident. You do not get this level of accumulation, and it's a little bit overbought. It's a 70 RSI, so maybe don't like run out and gobble it up right the second. But this stock's going higher. And there are so many charts. I, I mentioned earlier in the show, 91% of the XLI components are above a 200-day moving average. Jim points out that there are so many disparate areas within the industrials, and I agree. Um, to have this much cohesion in that entire group advancing all at once, I think doesn't just speak volumes. I think it screams. Why don't you like them? Yes, Shannon. <laughs> Why don't you like I'm, the industrials? I'm, you know, um, party. <laughs> Tighter credit conditions, and we do think that with backlogs coming down, you've seen some of this front, that some of the capex being front loaded. There's two themes that Jim, you and I both talked about this ad nauseum last year. It was China rebound and manufacturing reshoring. Manufacturing economy in the United States is, is in contraction, and China is slow, slow, slow. Yes, so, but if that's the case. Why is the XLI at a new high? Because Why? because the economy is growing better than anticipated and there continues to be production and the need and there are pockets aerospace is one of them, right? Where there is persistent undersupply that will continue for the next five to 10 years in certain parts of the market. And so CapEx is going to be required there. But that's why there is going to be some bifurcation in this space rather than just a rising tide lifting. Stronger than expected, Steph, economy trumps modestly tighter credit conditions, apparently. Yeah, I think so, for sure. And I think in terms of the PMIs, yeah, they're, they're dismal. But I think you're actually seeing an abonoming process in the PMIs. I'm not saying that they're going to rebound tomorrow, but I do think you're at a trough. And that's what I think that people are looking forward to when they look at some of these industrial. It is pretty interesting, though, isn't it? Manufacturing so bad, industrials so good. Yeah. Well, I, I to think most that wouldn't make sense. I, but I think there is an explanation that synthesizes things we're all saying. Number one, why is manufacturing in contraction? Because two years ago, we bought all the ring lights, all the furniture, all the stuff we needed at home, and we stopped buying that stuff. We didn't need to build that stuff anymore. But CapEx and the major CapEx building factories is still going on. And to a point that Josh made earlier, it's already been financed. These companies, Intel, all the semiconductors, all the automobile companies, they raised debt that goes out years to finance that. So they don't have to worry about the tighter credit conditions. Yes, Shannon. 
<laughs> I'm okay to stand Stop on an to island here. here. I'm, I'm okay to stand on an island here on this. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break. We have some more calls of the day coming up. We got trades on Disney and Toast and Delta next. All right, welcome back. A few more calls we want to get to. Disney. Jimmy, you see this note from Needham today? Yeah. Says Disney's going to be bought. Laura Martin says Disney's going to be bought within three years. Mm. What's your take? That's very provocative. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, they're really. doubling down on that call, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I mean, I, I, it could happen. Anything could happen. That's not, you know, on my bingo card, so to speak. Uh, what I find interesting is Disney is on the tip of everybody's tongue. It feels like every day I was joking about it during the break. It feels like every day we're talking about it. I personally would like to see the next earnings report. And what I would like to see specifically is a very complicated story get less complicated. Let's get some direction on what we're doing with ESPN. We were having a robust discussion during the break. Let's get a discussion. Let's have a resolution of what we're doing with Hulu, and then we can focus on the basics, which now have come down to streaming. It's not a bad business, but we need to do some cost cuts. That's what Bob Iger's doing. Uh, and the parks, which everybody's talking about that, that Wall Street Journal article from yesterday. I get it, but the idea that the theme park business of Disney is in some sort of decline, I just find it very hard to believe. How do you justify 24 times earnings? I don't think this is normalized earnings. I think you would agree with that. Maybe not. Well, how did you justify it when you owned it? It was cheaper than 24 times earnings at the time. So, And I made a little bit of money, but I just didn't like the fact that they were going after Hulu. I mean, but you were all like in it. on this until you weren't. I was. I was. And then and then they're cutting costs, which I like, $5.5 billion, but they're cutting content costs. And they're nowhere to be found on the content front in streaming, right? ESPN is a mess at this moment in time because they're laying off a whole bunch of people there. They can't get rid of it. It's a free cash flow generator. And I just think the, the Hulu acquisition, that was the thing that changed for me, Scott, when I thought they weren't going to buy the rest of it. And now it sounds They're like they are. Right? You, I know they have. They ha- I know, but I don't want them to. Do Their balance sheet it, is not great. Do you buy it at 90 bucks? Taking the Needham view? I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna sell out. I don't think they're gonna sell the company. Get Hulu done with. Just rip the Band-Aid off. Just stop. Uh, we I, like. Let's stop talking about it. And we have to talk about it. She says you could get, She says takeover premiums have historically been 30 to 40 percent above the public trading price for media companies with AAA libraries. No controlling shareholder to block a takeover. Yeah, I mean, look, things can always get worse, but boy, it's hard to imagine a famous last words, I know, but... Are you talking about Paramount or Disney? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Well, that's deemed as another takeover prospect. With with the controlling shareholder problem. I mean, that is the problem there. Absent that, it would have been... So you don't have the problem here. Exactly, According to Laura Martin. Agreed. Is that sort of the, the, the end game you would envision? I, well, no, it's not what I'm envisioning. I'm envisioning the, the story, which is very complicating, getting less complicated. Uh, Bob Iger doing the cost cutting, getting this down to theme parks and streaming and studios and just just moving on from there. He's not a long timer either. So that and she sees that as one of the benefits, too. It could be. But I mean, look, in, in a year, year and a half, which is probably what he has left, he can get the job done. He can get this back on track. Josh? I think ESPN is the key to this and what they end up doing with it. ESPN is not realistically going to be able to compete with Amazon uh, and other tech giants for sports rights. And if you don't have the sports rights, you literally don't have anything. So people you know, are looking at them laying off popular commentators, blah, blah, blah. They could live, 
they could get rid of anyone, any personality, up to and including the best, Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith. They could get rid of everybody and still be okay as long as they have the games. If you don't have the games, there's nothing to talk about. You get the best commentators in the world. That's what you're witnessing happen. So until we know how ESPN is going to compete with companies who are funding these sports rights deals by selling groceries and, and paper towels, <laughs> what is the answer to that? I don't know. I don't think ESPN spun off as an IPO raises enough capital for that to happen. So it leads me to believe there could be a sale of that business that would be a major league positive catalyst for Disney stock if, in fact, that's what ends up uh, occurring. Right. I, have no, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, we're just spitballing right, here, right? I hear you. All right, All right. quick break. You're, you're among friends. Santoli. Mike Santoli joins us next. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joins us now for his midday word. What are you thinking about today? Rates, the 10-year, back below 4%? Yeah, rates, uh, you know, they, we got tested a little bit by, uh, for yield sensitivity in the last week or so. I guess arguably have passed that test. There's perhaps a case to be made that people are getting a little bit too comfortable with the idea that CPI is a downside miss and it's going to confirm uh, the sharp disinflation story. We'll see if that happens. But the overall market action, it's tough to quibble with it. Quiet markets tend to be more bullish than not. This is a quiet one. Leadership, you've been talking about industrials and consumer cyclicals and all that stuff's working along uh, with what you'd want to see. The credit market's been quiet. In fact, spreads have tightened in the last month or so. Uh, and also, you know, you've been tested for mega cap concentration. Microsoft and Apple down a couple percent month to date, uh, and the S&P is actually up. So, so far, so good. We obviously lose some of the seasonal tailwinds. Again, maybe CPI tests the yield story, but it's, it's really hard to say that this market uh, is looking to break down right here, even though it seemed like we had a very incomplete pullback in, in June into July. Yeah, good stuff. I'll see you on Closing Bell in yep. a couple hours. That's Mike Santoli. Our final trades right here next. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. I hope you'll join me then. Gabriela Santos will be there. Lauren Goodwin, Eric Johnston. All right, he's been a holdout. He's been so negative on this market. Get him, Scott. <laughs> we'll discuss again today. See where his view is. Dan Ives, he's not been negative. He's been super positive. Says 12 to 15% on big cap tech for the rest of the year. So we'll discuss that as well. I'll see you in a couple hours. Let's do final trades. Shannon, by the way, it's great to have you back uh, once again. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Farmer uh, Jim. Yep. Boeing. Look, I know I talk about it a lot. It's been basing for a few months now. It's ready to break out. It's got plenty of orders. It's delivering planes. Look at the news today. That was the news on deliveries today. Stock's up one and a half percent. We didn't get to it during industrials, um, but that was news that we wanted to get to as well. So I'm glad you did. Stephanie Link. Delta. So I still want to play the goods to services theme. They just guided 17 to 18 percent total revenues for the upcoming quarter, 11 billion in free cash flow. It trades at 7.8 times earnings. Did you guys discuss that, Jimmy? Did you give her the go ahead to do that? It's great minds think alike, great Scott. Right. <laughs> Josh Brown. A.O. Smith, new 52 week high, raised the roof. All right. So interesting day. We have the Dow up better than 200 points uh, right now. And we will see how things develop over the next couple hours. S&P is good for a third of 1%. I'll see you. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.